Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What is up, listeners and ravagers alike, to this week's edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me is the rocket don't call me a raccoon to my Peter Quill, my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I can't respond to this the way that I want to respond to this because we haven't even given a spoiler warning yet. Is this a spoiler? It's a spoiler. Is it? Okay. You can call me a raccoon because I am a raccoon, Patrick. Okay. (laughs) All right. The miniature spoiler notwithstanding, (laughs) this week we are traveling to the far reaches of the galaxy and eventually back home in the uh, third entry of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. This rock and roll adventure had a lot packed into its two and a half hour runtime. So let's go ahead and get into it, shall we? This is the official spoiler warning as we are about to dive deep into our discussion of Guardians Volume 3. So you've been forewarned. Come back and join us for this conversation after you've seen it or just have fun getting spoiled as we talk through this. Cool, man. Um, All right. We're we're deep in to the MCU. We're sort of in. I don't know where this is. This is uh, third, third gen, fourth gen. It feels like in terms of the the movies that are coming out. I I think when I when I look back on phase one, and I think at some point there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three or third entry. I would have probably laughed a little bit because that's a lot, and that takes a lot of uh, trust and fandom and popularity. Um, were you excited about? This latest Guardians entry? Absolutely. This is one of the few Marvel movies that I was excited about. I'm pretty notoriously, for our listeners, probably very mild on James Gunn. I have not disliked everything he's done, but I was not a huge fan of the Suicide Squad. I just I don't I don't dislike his work in the way that Taika Waititi's comic book movies have rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm not like a James Gunn stan either. You know, he has a legion of very diehard fans who think that his style is just the apex of what they want. And I understand that. But he's never been like that for me. But I've really enjoyed both of the other two Guardians movies. They're both in the top third, I would say, of my MCU rankings, which I think, by the way, now is at like 32 total. When I was doing our FF Plus episode on this, I looked that up. It's it's really big. But so I liked both of the other ones. I like this cast of characters. And because of that, I was still somewhat excited for this one and hopeful of a more self-contained story, which we kind of got in most ways. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this self-contained story did exist here. I, I was not as high on on this. And I think it's my general like MC who, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of like, I'm fine with whatever comes out. But it's not something that I'm 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 looking at going, OK, what's what's Marvel putting out again? And I think it's because it's just everywhere. And I don't think it's just Marvel. I think there's a there's a lack of anticipation for big blockbuster superhero-esque type things. Fast 10 is coming out. We'll definitely cover that. But you and I are having our tempered expectations going into that because for us, Fast 1 through 7 is really our saga. Everything out after that is just big, dumb fun. Whereas this is big, dumb fun 
with a sense of family. You know, it's it's what we connect to. When I when I watch Guardians three, I always go into these sequels asking the question, "What cinematic homework do I need to do beforehand?" I did this with Ant Man's latest entry. I asked that question. You're like, "Nope, not at all." And so going into Ant Man three, it was a self-contained story i didn't have to know before i didn't really care about after and the question was asked i think i talked about it on the episode does the story work on its own i asked the same question for this one we get right into volume three there's this interesting sort of opening with 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 creep acoustic being played and it sort of was weird. I, I didn't really feel like I got jumped. I was jumping into it because I did feel like there were threads of previous Marvel stuff that were sort of influencing what was going on with Peter and with Rocket. And so I, I felt a little left out. Now, once we got through that, I definitely felt like this feels like a like a like a story in and of itself, but it has more deliberate befores and afters, minus even without the the stingers. It felt as though it was finishing up something. It felt as though it was providing a little bit more completion to certain character story arcs. And and it was satisfying, but not in the way that I felt incredibly invested in these characters. What's interesting is that I felt like the crotchety old man sitting two seats over from this, I think it was a 12 or 13 year old girl who was just absolutely engaged in this. And I love that because this is what she knows. She doesn't know anything else prior to this. And she's not a 44-year-old guy who's like, I need my coming-of-age movies more than anything else. She was genuinely enjoying the big moments of the film. And it was really great to see that, even though I wasn't really feeling that. Like she was cracking up and crying at parts that were supposed to make you laugh and cry. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Or yeah, that that feels a little sad. Here comes the music to kind of make me emotionally manipulated. But she she really, I think, articulates what a real fan of this franchise, not necessarily the MCU in general, but the but the Guardians. I mean, the Guardians have made an impact. And I think that she's an example of that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I also think that 15 years ago, when Iron Man 1 came out, that was you or I in the theater. This girl was not even alive, Patrick. She was still years from being born. Right. When right. the first, and this is not counting the Hulk movie, which I think came before it. I can't remember when that came it out. It came a couple of months after. But we're not yeah. counting that. So, okay. So Iron Man was the first. And, and so like, that's how long this thing has been going. So we've kind of had our run. And, and I think much like you said with FF one through seven being our saga, to me, nothing will ever touch the infinity saga. And we went through that and, and it was amazing and we were so invested in it, right? Because it was new and fresh and it was darn near a decade of staying up with these things and it was awesome. And we were into it. Like it, we, it was amazing watching the Captain America runs and the Thor runs and the Iron Man runs and then the Avengers culminations all the way up to Endgame. And then it was like, okay, but now we're just going to keep going and it, it's a, it's just diminishing returns, just like the Fast and Furious. Like you get to a point where you've kind of experienced it in the best way it could possibly be. And now you're just hoping against hope for one of them to be great. And I, 
the problem for me, and I call it a problem because I go into most of these without any expectations anymore, is that the hit rate of or the, the likelihood of something blowing me away has gotten much smaller, but that it's still there, Patrick. That's the thing. I can't pull myself completely out of this because there might be a Spider-Man No Way Home or there might be a The Batman, right? Where I'm like, ah, there's the one, right? They got one right that is completely for me and I love it. Even if I've got to watch The Black Widow or and Shang-Chi and Black Panther 2 and like all these just okay <laughs> at best kind of movies. I'm always looking for that one. And it's so it's it's a really tough place. And and I don't want to spend a ton of time on the MCU. So I completely or the state of it, because it's not going anywhere. And we could do that every time we talk about this three times a year or whatever. But uh for me, yes, I I think I was probably closer to that girl simply because I do feel like the Guardian's characters are so unique. And I and I really just have appreciated what Gunn did with this franchise. Because he took this team of characters that I'd never heard of before, and a lot of people had never heard of before, and he made them s some of our absolute most favorite ones that we were more emotionally connected to than anybody in this universe, even right. though they're all very different and wacky. I remember Patrick being on a vacation after the first movie come out, came out, and I loved it so much. And I went and I bought, so I have them, I went and bought actual comic books, and I haven't done that a lot. But I wanted to see what the history of this was and where they came from. And I fell in love with Rocket like so many people. And so that's why this one was especially both, I guess, rewarding, but also traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> <In a way. laughs> yeah. So this is um, this was the biggest surprise for me. And for better or for worse, it, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road. I think it's a bold choice to really kind of end your trilogy on an origin story <laughs> and let that be your deal. At the same time, I also feel like this is sort of like a a series entry that's not trying to wrap anything up. Like this feels very much like an episode of television at two and a half hours long because this is, it's an adventure. This is an action adventure story. We have in, in all, in all respect, it's essentially, here's the thing, we've got to go find it in order to do this other thing. And it sends Peter and company off on this sort of formulaic adventure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like the execution of it is really well done. It surprised me that Gunn chose to give us a rocket-centric story. At the same time, it doesn't because so many people love rocket and they love Bradley Cooper in that role. One thing I will say, without a doubt, every time I watch one of these movies, is that I cannot hear the voices of these actors. I cannot hear, I couldn't, I couldn't until the very end hear Vin Diesel's I Am Groot. And every time he would say it, I would be like, why did you give this guy so much money just to say three words? But he has a distinct kind of guttural sound that makes it really great and bradley cooper is so fantastic in this in the fact that i don't hear him i don't hear bradley cooper as rocket it's the same way with mark hamill i cannot hear him as the joker the joker yeah in batman and there's you got to give some credit to voice acting when it comes to that because i know these voices 
And when I can't recognize them, especially, I don't know if he did the younger version of Rocket 2 or if they digitized something. I'm not. I'm not sure. But I'm like, yeah. you. I, I also don't hear Bradley. Co- if I think about it, like if I go, hmm, that's Bradley Cooper. And I really hone in on the voice and I stop worrying about the script or the plot and everything around it, then yes, I can make that connection. But when I'm watching the movie, it is rocket. And I think it's one of the best voice performances that we've gotten in one of these major movies from a major movie star. You know, it really is good. Yeah. So the origin story angle was really good because it was something we didn't know about, but something I think a lot of people wanted. And it did surprise me that Peter was sort of the, the means to the end. (laughs) He was the one going after the kill switch the whole time. So did you, uh, one, were you surprised by that? And two, was it something that you had kind of a, a good take on that this was very rocket centric as, as opposed to Peter? I didn't know what the balance would be of the two. I, and I think I watched the first teaser trailer for this and I was like, that looks really good. It looks funny. It looks like the guardians, some stuff's going down. I'm in. I didn't watch anything else after that, especially once I saw Baby Raccoon or Baby Rocket, I guess, you know, on the teaser trailer. I just was like going, ooh, goo goo gaga, and so excited to get to find out more about him. But I didn't know how much that was going to be. I remember sitting in the theater for Guardians 3 and immediately leaning over to the person, I think, who went with me? Oh, my son. <laughs> I was trying to remember who was with me. Leaning over to Tyler, and I was like, oh my gosh, dude. They're starting the movie with this, like, because that was in the teaser trailer was the baby rocket thing. And I was like, this I was not expecting like that to open the Guardians movie, because the last time we saw the Guardians was some stupid little cameo in that bad Thor movie. Right. And they were bouncing around the universe after whatever. I don't even remember what happened at this point, like after Thanos and some other stuff happened. So. I didn't know for sure how we were going to handle it, but I did not expect it to be so rocket centric on. And I, I had no idea what his backstory was. I expected it to be bad. I'm not surprised that James Gunn showed it this way because he's James Gunn. This man has a history of violence and gore in his previous work prior to his comic book movie stuff. And this felt like a toned down, I know that sounds weird to people probably, but like somewhat toned down version of his trauma days that is just barely PG-13, but still very hard for people to watch, of course. I thought we would probably get more to do with Peter, but I thought that it was, like I said, balanced pretty well. I I thought that Peter's journey was over like Peter had accomplished what he needed to accomplish and he was really done his story was over he was grieving uh, the loss of his relationship clearly but he was kind of done with adventuring for the most part you know like he was we see what he was he's drunk right he's just kind of completely out of it he didn't seem like he was going to be carrying forward much as a superhero and the only thing that activates him is I got to save my friend And that is what gets him going in this movie. And I liked that. I liked that it wasn't about him, that it was truly about saving a family member. And everybody bought into that. And 
everybody was like bickering and fighting to the point where I was really annoyed, to be honest. It was one of my nitpicks with this movie was it was so much yelling. I don't know if you picked up on this, but I felt like every other scene, somebody was yelling at somebody, <laughs> which conveyed well that there were all of these interpersonal like built up frustrations with each other that needed to be dealt with. And I, I, I like that from a storytelling perspective, but man, from a crotchety old man, like you, (laughs) like you were saying, I was sitting there going, okay, can we like hone it down? (laughs) And just, how about we just quietly disagree with one another a couple times? That would make me happy. But yes, I loved the overall overarching idea of exploring rockets, backstory, saving rocket. That was a beautiful premise to me i did not care nearly as much for the detailed execution of the villain himself and just more comic book stuff things like naming people the high evolutionary no real backstory no idea what his powers are no idea how he has them no idea why he cares so much about playing god and creating this thing called counter earth let's talk about how really original that is it just all of that kind of felt more like a, a means to an end to me. So this is where I sort of got derailed. The idea of understanding where Rocket comes from, the fact that he's manipulated, the fact that he has this incredible brain, which we don't expect because he's kind of a, he's a mercenary. He's he literally shoots from the hip and metaphorically speaking as well. And he's the you know, he's the he's the jokester. He's the the one off kind of one-liner guy and he makes a great best friend to peter uh, much to drax's chagrin who wants to be his best friend and like you i think that gun's tone is very much for a niche audience to wrap it up into a marvel cinematic universe story i think gets to a wider audience but this is a lighter version of what we normally get with james gunn he has no problem showing us the gore and sort of laughing about it it's not like Saw. It's not torture porn, but it's kind of storytelling driven torture porn where it's not there just to show us how gross things can be or how demented someone can be. It has its purpose. But the problem that I had or where I was challenged is that you have a, you would have seen next to a scene of ha ha, this is really funny. And then immediately you'd have another scene where some animal is getting like burned because he didn't meet the requirements of said, uh, you know, or Emperor Supreme or whatever he was called. And then we get into this interplanetary stuff, this intergalactic type stuff, which is, you know, it's appropriate for Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, we're not on Earth. We're not dealing with Thanos. We're not dealing with stuff that's familiar. This is where I really felt like all right, I'm in unfamiliar territory. This is the pulp comic stuff that Marvel got into in like the 70s and early 80s where they're like, hey guys, we've got to iterate off of iteration, off of iteration, off of iteration. And I didn't want that. I never want that for my comics. The crotchety old man is like, give me my Supermans, give me my Iron Mans, give me my Spider-Mans, give me my Mans, you know, when it comes to that stuff. Give me my Hulk, give me my mainline A-list characters or your your top line characters and then give me a version of the second tier that connect to the first tier the success of the movie franchise of the guardians is that they can do this they can give us pulp stories like this 
they can introduce us to Nathan Fillion's character who's dressed in this like giant bubble outfit that feels like when they got to that place, when they got to that weird company. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was a company. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Into something industries. It felt as though I was in a 1970s TV show space, like lost in space. I really felt like, hey, how funny would this be if we put Nathan Fillion in this big giant like he's got fat rolls, apparently. And you could tell he's having a great time with it. It, I mean, these were it. These are things that I think James Gunn's like, hey, I'm going to invite my friends on to do something. Oh, 100%. And I'm fine with it. I'm really I'm cool with it. I'm absolutely cool with it. I think that if you're a director, you want to bring people in for cameos, you want to bring in Stallone to be one of the the head ravagers, that's cool. Um, it doesn't have to make sense. It could just be for fun. It could be for the for for Drax to just blow, you know, his head off or whatever. But I think that there's a silliness to it that when coupled with some of the seriousness, especially when we're dealing with CGI animals, there was there was a mismatch of like I don't know what to feel right now. Should I feel sorry for these animals? Maybe, but then you give me kind of a goofy voice for one of them, and I'm like I don't know how I should feel about this with a bunny with the with a trap on his face looking like uh, Hannibal Lecter. I, I just I didn't know what to make of that, and so by the time we get to the climax of the movie, I sort of knew what to care for, and I did want the animals to be rescued but only because I'd spent some time with them and I knew <laughs> that, you know, they're the good guys, quote unquote. So I had, I had problems with that. It was still a lot of fun, but I didn't feel comfortable in the, the mixed tone of the, of the movie. Yeah. One of my friends texted me after she saw it and she said, is there a requirement to put a warning on a movie that is going to have animal abuse in it? Even if it's, cgi or whatever and i was like no i don't think so and you know it's not specified in the rating either I actually went back and looked up the pg-13 rating and the way that it was written and they don't get into the details of what could be considered disturbing images or whatever it's tough because this is something that a lot of people take very seriously and you're right it limits the ability for people to enjoy it even if it's making a message of anti-animal testing and it's making a point that these are creatures who are alive and have feelings and emotions and killing them is bad and it's it works in the context of the story to get you emotionally to the place where you care about them and where you even care more about rocket and you understand what he's gone through and where he is now but it's so hard to watch. Like it, it is really tough. It's it's hard to come home to your pets and feel quite the same way, right? Um, you, you know, you want to. You're a little more protective when you get home, and you're like, I'm not letting the high evolutionary get you ever. It's just not going to happen. So it, it is a tough mix, and I I think that Gun knew that going in, and I I kind of even though somewhat detracts my personal experience some because of that i i do respect and appreciate him being willing to be true to his own storytelling because what this is patrick is not like everything else in the mcu 
for better and for worse, it's not generic stock. It, it is its own thing, and the Guardians have always been their own thing, and it builds on that. And I think that that's good. <laughs> and may be very much missed if we look back in five or six years and we realize that he was the only one really getting a chance to do much of that. And and I like the other stuff too. So I think that, you know, we have the Rocket storyline, but I really liked the fact that each and every character had something that they had to deal with, something that needed to be overcome, right? So we have the Mantis relationship with Drax. And again, there's like all this yelling within these different relationships, but the way that that plays out and Drax being vulnerable to the fact that he doesn't like being called dumb and Mantis responding to that. And then the whole fact of Gamora, I mean, I couldn't imagine having been in love with someone and them just forgetting. Well, I take that back. I can't imagine that. There was a moment that he said something that actually did resonate with me where he talked about it and it it felt very much like a divorce. It was like, have you ever had somebody that just suddenly you're nothing to them anymore? And and that's kind of like what a divorce can be like when somebody's suddenly cut out of your life after all this time and maybe you're not ready for it. It can be really harrowing and that's what I was relating their experience to. But it's beautiful and we get that amazingly perfect Oh, moment with the two of them at the end where I'll be honest, it was one of the times I cried is when she turns to him and she says, I bet we were great. And I was just like, man, like, like this is tough because it is what it is. And, and, and again, James Gunn doesn't go the easy, typical route of, oh, Gamora got her memories back. And now we have a perfect love story reunion. No, this is life. And it it sucks. Bad things happen. And guess what? These people will never be together again. They had their time. And they're going to just have to to remember it, what they remember. Or Peter's going to have to live with what he remembers um, and move on. And and that is how real life works. So, you know, each and every character I felt like had something of that nature. And that kept me going even throughout the, like, dumb parts. (laughs) Which, for me, (laughs) there were some. Yeah, I can completely, completely agree with that. I think that these pairings were the thing that James Gunn wanted to talk about. He wanted to explore because I think he knew that he was landing the plane of this group of guardians. And when you have the history that they've had together within two movies previously and then, you know, in, in subsequent cameos here and there in the MCU, how. How do you answer the question? Where do they go from here? And Rocket's story, I think, was appropriate because he's the only one that didn't really have something that was broken <laughs> in in his life, relationally or otherwise. And so whether or not this came from comic book source material, I don't know. I think it was a smart move because it allowed his journey to come to accept who he was and what he was to coincide with what the next step in his journey is going to be taking over the guardians. And it allows Peter to step down to find resolution and also start healing in a way that makes sense to him. It would have felt a little off, but there was a part of me, I kid you not, Aaron, when he was going through 
and got pulled out into space and turned fat and cold that I was like, oh my gosh, are we going to lose Peter Quill? Yes, I love steaks. Yes, this is going to be amazing. And then, you we know, we get... I'm sorry, we but the, we should have. Yeah. Well, I'm so, not saying I wanted him to die, but I'm saying if that was the way that you were going to do it, is he made the decision to actively risk his life by going back for the thing that means the most to him, which mm-hmm. is his tape quarter, tape recorder, his his tape player, sorry. And we get him that close to being dead. I, I wish they would have gone all the way with it. Yeah, point, instead of like Leia doing the doing the force via Warlock. So I was a little disappointed that that didn't happen. At the same time, going home with your grandfather, that's kind of cool. The thing that I struggle with, though, is that from my recollection, and I could be wrong, so listeners completely put me in my place, nowhere, not the planet, but nowhere in the story, <laughs> gotcha, is that really mentioned or being considered as something important. To me, Peter's story is about reconciling, not getting his relationship back with Gamora, but reconciling the loss that you just mentioned that you said so well. And his ability to lose his life for the sake of that thing would have been a fitting ending. You didn't. Honestly, you didn't need him to go back to Earth. Earth has never been something that I've seen Peter Quill long for. The only time would be the moments in this movie where he goes to uh, alternate Earth or better Earth or Mother Earth, whatever the Earth is called. And you have, but there's nothing there beforehand that really makes me think, why? Why go back to visit your grandfather? It's a nice moment. I mean, there's no doubt about it that it's paid off really well. But man, for him to die for him to sacrifice and for us to essentially lose him that way it would have been really fitting because all the stuff that happens afterwards him handing the mantle off to rocket is completely appropriate it would have been by by force by compulsion now you can make the argument that peter had to be able to hand that off in order to say my time is done but at the same time you could have done that a different way and gotten the same result where rocket was like, yes, I need to honor Peter's memory. I need to honor his legacy of being star Lord. And I'm going to, I'm going to lead this team and they're without Peter, which they are anyway. So I I had issues with that. The ending was fine, but it would have been a lot more impactful. And I I say this because (laughs) the stinger says star Lord will be back. And I'm like, of course he will because nobody dies and nobody leaves unless they die or leave. Someone made a good point to me about that. I said, so I'm talking about it on Twitter and somebody was like, yeah, but it does say Star Lord. It doesn't say Peter Quill. I was like, huh, that's true because this is the MCU and in comics, that's what happens. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the same guy, but I, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, well, if you're just going to tell me he's coming back already, what's the point of that? And while I didn't want him to die, one of the first things someone asked me when I tweeted about this movie after I saw it a week ago was just tell me how many Guardians die. Like everybody was going into this movie expecting that because it had been built up to have what you're talking about, the stakes that make you think it's going to happen. And for it to kind of be this deus ex machina of a character that only exists within this movie, in my opinion, to 
be around for further movies, like his presence in this movie is meaningless. Yeah, and so every, absolutely. and that takes out completely. Like you can put it aside my personal enjoyment of the character, which is very low. But even if I thought he was like fun in his moments, his point of being here could easily be cut out. You could have had the high evolutionary send his mutilated, disfigured animal goons to go get rocket just as easily. Yep. Right. And he doesn't because we need Adam Warlock to be a part of the new team. <laughs> that's going to carry on the next iteration of the MCU and then the next iteration of the guardians got to have a new team. So that's the only yeah. reason this guy exists in this story to me. And that was frustrating because then he's the guy that saves Peter instead yeah. of one of his teammates. So, and here's, here's where I got kind of like excited and it sounds like I'm so demented because I want people to die or I want characters to die off. But, <laughs> okay. I mean, listen, listen to our infinity. Just War don't episode. say You'll... Cosmo. Okay. Anybody but Cosmo. Cosmo. Good dog. Uh, okay, good, dog. good dog. Good dog. <laughs> <laughs> when he rolls in with all of his power and is going after rocket, he gets into that. What I think is a really cool set piece of a battle with all the guardians phenomenal and he tears off Groot's head and he bends uh basically uh, i don't know how to describe it but he basically discombobulates um i think it's not nebula but it's um oh what's her name mantis maybe no it's nebula and and he does all these things i'm going oh my gosh are all the guardians dead is it and there's a part of me that got excited because i'm thinking all right if they're dead, maybe we're going to roll back to like a previous part because we, we start right in the middle of what seems like something. And no, none of them are dead. You know, Drax is fine. Uh, Groot gets his head back and, uh, and and Nebula recombobulates herself. At that point, I completely thought what you did. What's the point of Adam Warlock except to be a relief pitcher <laughs> for the new Guardians? And what it does for me is I'm just reminded of now we're into tier C of characters. And why do I care about this? Unless I'm so fully invested prior to that. Now I've got this. I can't get into the next set of guardians because the story has to be really, really great. This is why the third entry of Ant-Man worked because the story itself was pretty fantastic. I love the set pieces. I love the, the the way things were designed, it felt just really cool. When I watch this, I'm going, why do I care about where you go next? I think Rocket's great, but can can Rocket as a CGI raccoon really carry a movie? So when I see that stinger at the end that says, Star-Lord will be back, you're either introducing a brand new character who's going to take over the Guardians, really, or... You're going to make Rocket Star-Lord? Neither of those concepts works for me because either Star-Lord has to establish themselves, him or her, somewhere else to get to become Star-Lord or something else has to happen. The only thing that appealed to me about that is the fact that when I watch the What If series, there's a What If episode about what if T'Challa became Star-Lord. That's a really cool story because you've got this embedded Black Panther uh, culture on top of being abducted by Ravagers and that made it for a really, really great story. That's not going to happen. You're not going to make T'Challa the next Star-Lord because T'Challa's not a... Well, 
forgive me. T'Challa is around in some capacity. If that's what happens, maybe I'm in, but then I'd have to understand the why behind it because we're not in a different what if universe. Don't give me that kind of story there. So I, I just felt like when you think about Adam Warlock as a character, he really just felt out of place. And the fact that he's like, like you said, the fact that he's the one that rescues Peter Quill shows me nothing except that he's powerful. But if he's powerful, he's also dumb because he's not powerful enough to kill these characters that we find so beloved. Oh, completely with you on all of that. And you take the rest of that team and you have Craglin, who, again, is a minor side piece character who is there for comedic relief. I loved that he got a minor character arc in this and he got closure. He got to do something heroic and he was able to finally control Yondu's arrow and make it fly and be a part of the team and be relied upon. And it was an awesome scene and moment for him. Do I have any interest in watching Craglin as a primary character going forward? I don't. Nebula has always been fine for me. I love Karen Galan as a character, as a person, but like they worked in the group that they existed in. And now you want to move her into a new group, right? And, and she's going to be part of this or whatever. And it just doesn't, I don't know. I, the more we wrap up those first group of characters, the less I'm interested in the next iterations of B level characters that are becoming the A level movie, movie focuses. I am very curious what happens with the next Marvel movie the Marvels, because it's doing the exact same thing. We're taking the Brie Larson Captain Marvel and we're combining her with new characters like Miss Marvel and Monica Rambeau, I believe, I think is the other one. And so we're we're doing these passing of the torches within all of the franchises. And I it's like, I don't know, I think Fast and Furious will be our reference point until we die. I'm going to watch them. And I'm probably going to enjoy some most of them. And every once in a while, I might get really surprised. But I'm not obsessed over them by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think I'll ever get overall as emotionally as connected and, and tied to this whole franchise as I once was. That was a flash in a, plan, a pan. It was a, a lightning in a bottle kind of moment in history. And I'm so glad we got to experience it. But, you know, the... I'm okay with these just being a good time. That that one take action sequence in the hall at the end of this to me was incredible. A lot of the action in this was okay. A lot of it was just CGI, crazy, bombastic, wild, over the top, like chaos. <laughs> you can't even tell what's happening a lot of the times. But that final sequence where everybody got to shine, there was tons of slow motion it was one of the best needle drops in the movie with no no sleep till Brooklyn. It was awesome. Like it was one of those like rip roaring, rousing moments. And I was like, OK, if you're going to like make me sit here for two hours and 10 minutes to get to this point, I, I feel like you paid it off for me. And I appreciate that. And I had a blast with that moment. Um, so overall, it was still a win for me, even if it wasn't blow me down, you know, emotional kind of story like some people are raving about how incredibly deep it is and all this and i i just don't get that cloning is bad <laughs> and that's a pretty like, normal take like i don't think that's a something that we need to debate and have a, there's no questions in this movie 
It's not a deep sci-fi story that's investigating whether or not the high evolutionary is doing something that maybe could be good for the world. It is a strictly villainous act that he is doing from the start. Yeah. And that's less interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, had, it had elements of the Truman Show. It had elements of Planet of the Apes and all these different things that were coming to my mind that didn't quite fit the uh, the the tonal structure that I was experiencing. And I think that having having James Gunn in the director's chair helps tie that together for me. But I it's it's important to note that, as we've said before, movies don't have to be amazing to be worthy of watchability. They can be watched once and enjoyed. I will I will champion the fact that it's too long in some places. I think that there's a lot that can be cut out. And at the same time, the execution of the set pieces, the use of a great soundtrack. I thought, honestly, creep, the acoustic creep to the open acoustic the creep was phenomenal, just, dude. I, it's so good. I wanted to listen to it immediately when I got home. It's such a well and there's something to be said about great establishing shots. So much is said throughout the credits without being said. Like we get the established, here's where they are. They're settling. They're no longer doing their thing. Apparently they got their own restaurant or their own bar or something like that, which I think is pretty phenomenal. I mean, they have their and own planet. Everything on it is theirs. <laughs> it's exactly. Their own mobile yeah. planet. Yeah. So they, they are, they are established as their home base. The I think the, I think at one point the the title card or the 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 lower third caption said um, in subtitles uh, Guardians HQ. <laughs> so they've established nowhere as their place. But just like that that one shot action sequence, the music really does accent. And and that's the thing about movies like this. James Gunn is unapologetic about saying, look, we've got to have a killer soundtrack. We've got to have a driving set of needle drop songs that are going to make every scene feel big, loud, and fun. And that's what we got. We got a big, loud, fun adventure that is all it needs to be. A big, loud, fun adventure that lands the plane for character story arcs and leaves us feeling like, okay, we can move on now into the next phase of whatever these characters are going to do. And if that's what James Gunn wants to do, then man, credit to him. He doesn't have to be Oscar worthy. It doesn't have to like be deep. <laughs> Sci-fi doesn't have to be deep. Look, Lost in Space is not a deep TV series, but it's good. It doesn't have to be Star Trek Picard. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It can just be really good sci-fi. And sci-fi can be more space opera. This is kind of how I felt about it. I was like, yeah. this is kind of like... This is kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide meets Star Wars. That's what I felt like when I watched this, because there's silliness to it inside a big universe that doesn't go to Earth deliberately. <laughs> like we don't get to Earth until very end of the movie. And so it's really cool to see that, that you can you can establish a film that doesn't have to tie back to something that's familiar to you as a, as a fan. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just was going to point out the other needle drop that really I thought was perfect and I enjoyed pretty much all of them. But I thought that using uh, Florence and the Machines dog days are over for that end sequence. I Like I almost wished the movie had just ended right there because I thought that 
that was perfect. I thought them all dancing around, or did it end right there? I think it did. Was that before or after he goes to Earth? I can't remember. It's been a week and a half for me. But them dancing around on Nowhere and everybody getting their boogie on from Rocket to Groot to Nebula, I thought that that was just so full of joy and made me happy. And I was like, if this is the last time I ever see these characters, of course, I, it wasn't because there's a post credit scene. But if it was, I was like, this is a, a beautiful, amazing way to go out that really captures the heart of this group of crazy, unique people from all different places around the universe who came together and became a family, a real, honest to God family that cared about each other and loved each other. Uh, so I thought that that was a really perfect choice for a song in that moment. So I think, I think Vin Diesel's the connecting point here between I guess he is. that are not your blood. <laughs> that, speaking of Vin Diesel, that was also a moment that I, I rolled my eyes. I'm sorry. I rolled oh, my the, eyes. I love you guys. Yeah. That was just so dumb. I was like, yeah, why there's no, you can't, like it wasn't funny and interesting to me because there's nothing further about it. There's no explanation for why Groot has not spoken English for 31 movies <laughs> worth of MCU before this. And just to drop it, I it's it makes no sense. It completely took me out of the moment because it's not in universe consistent in any way, shape or form. And I was like, no, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. Right. I didn't like it either. I think that it would feel more, it would feel better if he said, I am Groot. And they're like, we love you too. <laughs> because it's consistent. Exactly. It didn't add anything to, to that. Is he now going to talk? Is he now going to have like actual speech? Because everything about him was about those three words. And to have Gamora finally understand him, which I think is really great. That, felt really really good yeah, you almost but, are undermining all the work you've done previously yeah by making the millions of ways he says i am Groot so interesting and unique and meaningful by oh yeah well, but he can just talk <laughs> normal so what's the point yeah all right well with any marvel movie we get stingers we get mid credits we get end credits just quick thoughts before we wrap up what'd you think i, I thought that it was a fun mid credit scene with the new group because they were fine just watching them interact and then go start to shoot some weird critters that were monsters or whatever that were coming to invade some town or wherever the heck they were. I don't know what was happening. I, it didn't matter to me. It was fine. I thought the final end credit scene was kind of dumb <laughs> as a lot of them are. And made me question why I sat around for it yet again. I don't need to see Peter Quill eating cereal. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I'm just not the mark for that. That does not my kind of humor. It's not worth doing what you want me to do, which is watch all of your credits. And I get that. I understand the whole. It's meaningful and it's respectful to the people who made the movie i don't believe that <laughs> really to be honest i'm not actually reading their names most people that sit through the credits aren't reading their names you're sitting there talking to your friends or you're checking your text messages until the stupid post-credit scene comes up for three seconds and then you leave so there's no more or less respect 
whether you stay around while the credits roll or not, in my opinion. The person still got paid. The person still got an amazing, you know, experience and was part of making this great Hollywood blockbuster that they can be proud of, regardless of whether I saw the 32nd name under the VFX list or, and read it out loud to myself and, you know, meditated on it for five seconds. I don't know, it's just so dumb to me. Anyway, now you're getting on your tangent. Point being is, I thought that the final one was kind of dumb and again, also undermined some of the movie for me because it's better to me. If you didn't kill him, (laughs) leave him on earth, let him walk into his human family and he's done. Like that's the whole point. The whole point of the story is that he's done. He has passed it on. He is moving on. He is out. And then you're like, yeah, but maybe not. <laughs> and I just, Marvel can't help themselves, man. They just can't help themselves. Yep. That's, I mean, my thoughts exactly. I don't stay for the post credits anymore. And I kind of take pride in that. I just, what I do is once the credits roll, I will queue up like an article that explains what they are. <laughs> and then if they look fun to watch, I'll stick around. But I, adamantly just get up out of my seat and say deuces i gotta go home okay (laughs) in this particular instance my theater was like 20 minutes away from my house so i was like i need to go home because i'm sleepy and so they are what they are they're part of the marvel culture they're what people look forward to and i'm not going to spoil anybody's good time but i agree with you that they're now placeholders for future movies this is all they are and the credits as you mentioned are essentially like eyesores when it comes to that And I would love to see my name on the credits and I would stick around for it, but I'm not the average moviegoer who's sitting there catching up on social media and chatting up his friends saying, uh, you know, why was Warlock in this again? You know, what was the point of that? (laughs) And, you know, it's just what it is. I'll catch it. You know, I'll catch those stingers a week later or (laughs) at some point whenever. Apparently the, the, the mid credits sets up something else that I'm not really privy to and i'm fine with staying in the dark on that yeah i mean it's all right just setting up the next iteration of the team i think is really all it's doing yeah but i read something about the things that were coming at them oh. were part of oh. a, another villain that will apparently show up and oh, I'm like that's a yeah. name i can't pronounce or don't know so yeah, um deuces make a tv show out of it that i won't watch that's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry crash the old man entering entering the atmosphere (laughs) get off my lawn get off my intergalactic lawn i have a pig face (laughs) oh wow all right well that will do it for this edition of feeling film we hope you've enjoyed this conversation even with all of its digs at whatever we were digging at aaron thanks for another great conversation we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group very active in both places and would love to chat and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you 
once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.